You may not know this, but uh, I was the boy of destiny. Uh, in high school, I used to sign all my papers, Tom, boy of destiny, Bennett. Yeah, because I'm cool like that, you know, and uh, maybe a little confident. Uh, well, the thing is, though, once I graduated high school, I, you know, I was told, well, now you're 18, you're a man. So I graduated into the man of destiny. And uh, the first semester of college in Peter Krentz, in Peter Krentz's class, um, I submitted my first paper as Tom Mann of Destiny Bennett because I felt that I was coming into um, my own. And uh, I got the paper back, and Dr. Krentz wrote, if you ever do that again, I'm going to fail you. Um, and so I did, just to see what he would do. And he did. He failed me. Uh, he, yeah, he did. He called me into his office, and he's like, are you serious? Like, are, this is... <laughs> Really? <laughs> uh, we're trying to prepare you to, you know, be an adult. And then he harangued me for about 30 or 40 minutes. And at the end, I was like, but come on, was the paper good or what? I mean, just lay it to me, lay it on me, man. He's like, yeah, it was a good paper. And I was like, well, then can I have the grade back? He's like, no. You learned your lesson, right? Yep, that was the end of me uh, signing my papers, Man of Destiny. I used to, um, I used to, I used to be thinking about what's God's will for my life. That was like the question. Because as the boy or man of destiny, I understood that whatever God was doing, he had something like, God's got all the stuff going on, right? But he's really probably focused most on my life and like what, what needs to happen for me. That's kind of the, the way I sort of saw the world. And so as a result, I was always thinking, you know, what is God's will for my life? What is my destiny? Well, through a series of unfortunate events, uh, which is now available on Netflix, and it's not bad, um, a series of unfortunate events, I came to the realization that God probably doesn't think of me as the center of the universe, and moreover, that he might be the center of the universe. Um, in fact, it might even have been blasphemous for me to be thinking always in terms of what, what's God's will for my life. And so, uh, through these series of unfortunate events, I began to reshape my thinking. I started wondering, what's God up to? God, what are you doing? Because I'd like to be involved in that. Um, I, I've done the whole like self-involved thing, and that didn't work out very well. God, I'm a little more curious now to see what you're up to, and I think I would like to be a part of that. Unfortunately, that seems like it's a pretty hard thing to figure out. I knew a girl in college, Lauren, and uh, we were talking one day about, you know, how do you hear God's voice? And she's like, well, you just listen. I was like, okay. It's, it's really, really, it, it's silent. And she's like, oh, no, he speaks to me. I'm like, but you mean like you're, you feel like, you know, no, no, he literally speaks to me. I'm like, Lauren, that's called schizophrenia. And you may want to see the school psychologist. Um, but for, for, nor, for, us, for those of us who aren't Lauren, um, we, it's really hard to know what God's up to, what he's saying, what, what, what God's, where his action is. And that's kind of uh, what I'd like to animate um, our, our discussion today uh, with is, is this thought, this question, what, how do we know what God is up to? How can we be, um, how, how can we see his moving? Um, is, is there some way that we can have some reliable signs um, that something is afoot, which I think is from Sherlock Holmes? Um, if you've seen the new ones with Robert Downey Jr., they like took Sherlock Holmes and I'm like, what would make this better? I'm like, oh, I know, karate, explosions. Like, forget the mystery. Let's just turn it into an action movie. My dad loves it. Um, I think it's ridiculous. But something is about how do we know? What, what are some reliable ways to know that God is moving? That where this is where God's spirit is powerful. This is where things are happening. 
And I'd like to, to have that in the back of our minds as we encounter the text today, as we continue on in 1 John. Uh, John says, says, this is my translation. I'll explain uh, some of the changes I've made from uh, versions you may be more familiar with. He says, I write to you, little ones, because your sins are forgiven through Jesus' name. I write to you, parents, moms and dads, because you have come to know the one who has existed from the beginning. I write to you, young adults, teens, now emerging adults, uh, I write to you, young adults, because you have overcome the evil one. He goes on, let me say it again. I write to all you children, because you have come to know the Father. I write to you, parents, because you have come to know the one who has existed from the beginning. I write to you, young adults, teens, emerging adults, because you are powerful, and the word of God remains in you, and you have overcome the evil one. And just based on that, you would be forgiven for thinking that this is like a family sermon about parents and kids and children. Um, but I, I want to I suggest, I suggest that's, that's not exactly the case, that, that John's actually talking about the church. He's not talking literally about um, parents and, and young adults and, and literally about little children. But he's, he's actually talking about us as a community of faith, people in the church, and he's, and he's kind of explaining why we experience some of the tension that we experience. And I want to show you how that works. Uh, so at the very beginning, notice he begins with little ones. This is, um, in the Greek, it's, a, it's, it's literally a diminutive. It's like when you, uh, instead of calling um, Alice, uh, Alice, we call her Little Alice or Al or Albert, something like that. It's like a little cute kind of fun name. Uh, you, you little ones, you little children, you precious children. Um, he's talking to his children, right? Well, well, well who are these children? They're the ones whose sins have been forgiven through Jesus' name. Which would presumably be all of us if we've believed in Jesus. If we've, I mean, we just heard um, the, 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 the kids getting up there and saying, um, I, I believe in Jesus for eternal life and for the forgiveness of sins. Anyone who's done that is one of these little ones, these little children. He's speaking to the whole church. Everybody in the church. He, he goes on um, and, and he, he talks to little ones and he talks to them again. When this is, let me say it again. I write to you, all you children. Um, this one, he doesn't use the diminutive. He just says, kids. Hey, kids out there. I'm writing to you because you have come to know the Father. If we're thinking with John, we know that people come to know the Father. How? Through his son, Jesus. Anyone who knows God, who's come through Jesus, is one of these children. Meaning that whomever John is talking to, is a church and, by implication, a family. Right? All you little kids, all you children, you're now the children of whom? Of God. And that means that you're all brothers and sisters. You're all family now. Every single one of you has believed um, uh, in, in, in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. Every one of you has come to know the Father. And now you're all of God's little kids. You're brothers and sisters running around in the preschool area, bumping into each other and falling apart. That's kind of how he begins uh, talking to the church, to the people in the church. And that's the first thing in your note sheets. John begins this section by addressing the whole family of God as children. But then he, he, he goes on. He doesn't, he doesn't stop there. So he, he, he starts by saying, every one of you are children. Now he comes with two subsets of Christians. So first there, all of us are children. Now he's going to start talking to parents which is kind of a weird mix of metaphors. Um, but but he's, what he's doing is everyone's a child of God. We're all brothers and sisters in the faith. But there's two types of Christians in the church. There's parents and there's young adults. 
Um, and, and we'll discuss a little bit about what that means. Parents, you have come to know the one who has existed from the beginning. Um, and then he goes on again. He repeats this. Um, uh, let me say it again. Parents, you have come to know the one who has existed from the beginning. I, I've added in brackets. Let me say it again because he actually changes his verb tense to a past tense um, as he's repeating in order for emphasis. It's something that they do in Greek that we don't do in English. But it's really the equivalent of us saying, let me say it again. I really want you to get this, okay? I want you to understand this. Parents, you have come to know the one who is from the beginning. If you've been with us uh, since the beginning of 1 John, you know that the one who is from the beginning is none other than Jesus himself. At the very beginning of 1 John, 1 John uh, 1, 1, um, he says, what was known from the beginning, what was from the beginning, which, has, which we have touched and seen and heard, that's what we're revealing to you. Jesus, the manifestation of God in human flesh. And if you've been with us for a long time, I, I lucked out a couple of weeks back. Normally when I um, do uh, like illustrations, they're just, no one relates to them because my interests and y'all's interests are very, very different. And so I do make an effort to try and get into your world. And a couple weeks ago, I hit, I hit the jackpot with at least one or two people when I mentioned Bo Jackson. Yeah, Bo Jackson of all things. I, Steve Malapard loves those Raiders. And so he loves Bo Jackson. He came after, he was like, I've never heard a more amazing sermon. I was like, what? He's like, you talked about the greatest sports player who ever lived. I was like, awesome, <laughs> great. Did you, did you pick anything? I'm like, no, I don't remember a thing you said, but Bo Jackson was amazing. <laughs> I'm just kidding, Steve. I know you rocked it. We talked about Bo because Bo knows. Bo knows football. Bo knows baseball in the same way that these parents, these Christian parents, these, these long-time believers, I'm going to suggest to you, these long-time believers know Jesus. They, they, it's not like a recent thing for them. They've been walking with Jesus for a long time, and they know what it's like. My grandfather knows ranching uh, because he's ranched for a long time. And he, I mean, he's really up there now. He's really slowing down. But if you want to know ranching, you go talk to him because he's been doing it. He's intimately familiar with the practices and the experience of ranching. Likewise, these, these Christians, these parents, these long-time believers, you have come to know the one who has existed from the beginning. You've gotten to know Jesus. You know what he's like. The reason John's using these familial metaphors is because they are so helpful when we're trying to think about what it's like when we've been walking with the Lord for a long time, is we're a little bit like parents. Uh, for long-time believers, long-time believers, um, they know a thing or two. A thing or two that, um, that relatively new believers don't know. And that's the, this whole Christianity thing is not all sunshine and rainbows. It's not lollipops and lambs all the time. Sometimes this Christianity thing is a little bit tough. Sometimes... God allows you to suffer. Sometimes God allows you to get sick. Sometimes God allows you to die. Parents have a different perspective than their kids. You know, I, I didn't understand this, uh, but when so, my parents um, were um, physical abusers. Uh, yeah, it's no, it's fine. It's fine. I've made my peace with it. Um, because spanking, you know, that that's that's now child abuse. Uh, and I was spanked as a child. Um, and I remember my mother, God bless her, Mother's Day. Thanks for the abuse, Mom. Love you. Uh, Mother's Day. So she, she would get ready to spank. I can talk about this now. The statute of limitations has passed. So even if you report her, it's not going to, there's no problem. 
she, she would bend me over and she would say this. Oh my gosh, remember it. She'd say, Tom, this is going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you. I was like, nah, <laughs> nope. <laughs> and, and then she had the audacity to say, my mom used to tell me this. And I didn't believe her until I had you. I was like, look, whatever, you, whatever helps you get to sleep at night, honey. But like, this is bad news, all right? Um, now, uh, I'm not going to discuss, um, because the statute of limitations hasn't passed yet, but I'm not going to discuss how we discipline our kids uh, in public. Um, but I, I can tell you this. I can tell you this. Dang it, she was right. It really does hurt me more than it hurts them. They, I mean, they can't stand it. They can't stand discipline. They hate it. They, they really, but man, it really cuts my heart. And, and to say nothing of Aaron, I mean, poor Aaron, I'm, I'm tough as nails. I mean, there's just a heart of stone here, so it's like I feel almost nothing. Um, and and so, so it's a little bit easier for me, but for Aaron, she's so soft. And, and to see her get to that place where she's just angry enough and frustrated enough and disappointed enough, you know, it's crazy. What, 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 what the, the pain of it is not that we're so upset that, you know, of all the millions of things that they do. What, sometimes they throw kinetic sand on the carpet, the carpet that Ray so wonderfully laid down for us at the parsonage, and we have to vacuum that stuff up. We're not so disappointed about that. We're disappointed about the fact that they know better, and they do it anyway. And we're looking at him, and we're like, man, it kills me to see you frustrated or hurt or in pain of any kind, but man, we got to do it because you got to change, kid. Parents um, know things intimately, know things with familiarity that, that, that young adults and teens can never know. Not until they get to a certain place in life. And it's not just parents in the sense of like with biological children. It's anybody really. John's using the, the, the term parents there because it's, it's, it's uh, an easy way to get our heads around it. But it's anybody who's been super experienced at something and who, who knows something really well. And then they see some young buck come along and they're like, yeah, you're probably not going to want to do that. You're not going to want to do that. Because they've, they, they've, they've got a familiarity with life and with experience that, that these young folks don't have. Um, I, I say parents. It is true that in the Greek, um, it's, uh, it's fathers. And, and there is a Greek word for parents, gonea, which is not used here. John does use that word in the gospel, um, but he doesn't use it here. The reason I've translated it parents is because, um, oh, by fathers or parents, John, this is the second thing in your note sheets. Uh, those Christians who have developed familiarity with Jesus over a long time. Yes. Um, the reason I've, I've done parents is because uh, when John's using a trope from the ancient world. Where in the ancient world, uh, the person who was experienced, who knew what was going on, who had a deep familiarity with life, that was always the potter familius, the father. Um, it was never the mother because in the ancient world, um, mothers or women were um, held with less um, esteem, or, esteem or regard than they're held now. And so it was not common for, uh, for John or for anyone else to think of, of women as being the sorts of people who could have these kinds of uh, wise, um, you know, I, I've been there, I've experienced it, I've known it types of, of things. So he's using a trope. Um, but he is talking about the men and the women in the church who've been with Jesus for a long time. He's not just talking to the men. He's talking to anybody who's come to know the one who's from the beginning. So I've just gone ahead and updated that uh, to parents because in our culture, we, we don't assume that, um, that, that women uh, can gain no experience or wisdom. In fact, we, um, well, I, I depend on the wisdom that, uh, that my wife and mother uh, have, have garnered over the years. So just a little explanation there. 
Um, let's, let's go back to the text a little bit. So there's the parents, right? And again, parents, long-time believers, people who've been walking with Jesus a long time, super familiar, and now John wants to talk to young adults. He says, I write to you, young adults, because you have overcome the evil one. He goes on, uh, let me say it again. I talk to you, young adults, because you're powerful. The word of God, the message of God remains in you, and you've overcome the evil one. Overcome power, young adults. I mean, really, really, we should, I mean, young adults, wow. Um, this, is, this is literally the young men uh, in the Greek, but again, it's the same sort of thing. We live in a, in a world where we know now that, that young women um, have the same kind of propensity to go out and just kind of like take on the world, right? Did you notice that the language or overcome the evil one? These are people who are just out there. They're, they're young, they're fresh, they're hot, they're, they're, they're hot under the collar, they're ready to make a, uh, an impression on the world. They've got power, strength. They're, they're the ones, they're the, the believers in the church who, um, and, and this is the next thing, next thing in your note sheets, these are the believers in, in the church um, who have just recently met Jesus in power. Power. They've got this power right there. They've overcome the evil one. The message of, of God is burning in their chests as they want to see victory. And, and, and they've got power and strength. Uh, this is, I mean, this happens all the time. It doesn't necessarily mean you've just become a Christian. It can happen at different points in your life. But it's when, when you've experienced God's deliverance or liberation in power. When you see that Jesus is real, that he's not just off there and he, he's not just outside and, and abstract, that his, 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 he's really there and he's really doing something, you come and you have an experience of him in power. And when that happens, when that happens, every Christian who experiences this becomes like a young adult. When I was uh, an emerging adult, I was an emerging adult for a long time. It's really great. Nowadays, it used to be that you became an adult at 13. Um, th that's, that's how it was in the ancient world. Now you become an, uh, an adult about the age of 33 or 34. So you, it's, a, it's a much longer process. It's a lot more fun. Um, and I stretched it out as long as I could. Um, I, really, I really did. I remember um, one of the things I found out when I was a young adult was that I was a lot smarter than my parents. Um, that they had no idea what they were talking about, uh, about almost anything. Um, and for, for example... Um, I came home, well, I was at college, and I was like, oh, this is awesome. So I grew my hair long, got an earring. Um, I stopped short of a tattoo because I was like, uh, there's nothing I like enough to have forever. Um, so just think about that if you're going to do it, kids. Aaron has one. <laughs> it, it's cool, though. It's cool. Don't worry about it. Um, so I come home. I come home with long hair and an earring, um, and my dad is just like, I don't know if you know this about my dad, but he uh, used to beat up hippies. That was like a thing, yeah. So when he, when he was in college, it was during the Vietnam War, and he was in uh, ROTC. And so he was going to be um, flying airplanes in Vietnam. And so uh, the hippies on campus would be like, you know, baby killer or whatever, and he would just deck them. My dad used to be like a really tough guy. Um, He's a soft, cuddly bear now. But uh, back in the day, he was a real hellraiser. And so he used to beat up hippies. Um, you know, he would like, it's almost like union breaking where the hippies would have their line. He would just run in and just start clocking them left and right. None of this is true, I don't think, but it might be. Um, he said once he hit a hippie. Anyway, so I come home. I've got long hair and an earring, and he's like, <laughs> no, no, that's not going to work. No. And I'm like, not only that, Dad, not only that but I want to work at Hot Topic. Yeah. If you don't know what Hot Topic is, it's, uh, it was really cool in the 90s, early 2000s, but it's like where like, the goths and the punks hang out. You know? And so if you like bands like AFI or Pennywise, that's where you would work. And then I was like, how are you the spawn of my loins? Impossible! 
This cannot be the case. He was just enraged. And I was like, Dad, you don't get it, man. It's, a, it's, it's like it's a new world, man. It's not about, yeah, come, you're so old, man. You're, so, you're such a square. I didn't use the word square. That's something that only a hippie would say. Um, yeah, I can't believe, what's wrong with you? Because I had, I had been to school, I'd learned a few things, I'd become a sophomore. And a sophomore literally me- it's true, I had, I was now a sophomore. Sophomore means literally wise fool. It's a, it does. You didn't know this? It's from the Greek Sophia and the where we get moron from, uh, wise fool. That's what a sophomore is. I didn't know that at the time, um, but it is true. So I, I, I'm a sophomore, man. I mean, I've read some books. What? Oh, you think you know what's up? Dude. I read Plato, son. I know all about the philosophy of the Republic. Like, you know? And that I, I, you, you, you don't understand. Like, just because I wear my hair long, my ear, doesn't mean that I'm not having, I've, I've got some stuff figured out right now. And I'm going to go change the world. I'm going to be so cool that people are going to, you know, be converted by my thoughts. And what I really was a Christian. I was, I was into it or whatever. But I, I was doing it a different way because I'd figured some stuff out. Because I had experienced at school um, the movement of Jesus in power. I'd been a part of a community where it was like radical things were happening. And it was, it was stuff that I'd never experienced in my life before. And I, I was, it was so clear to me, so real to me, that faith was like, was, it was full of power. Jesus was real. And, and I was sick and tired, of, from my perspective, my parents' tired, old, you know, beat up way of doing things. And I wanted to shake them by the shoulders and be like, it's time for something new, something more powerful, more amazing. Get, stop with your old way of doing stuff. In John's church, um, something like this had happened with believers, not necessarily young and old in terms of age, but those who had known Jesus from the beginning were really familiar with him, who were wise, who were steady, who were weathered, and those who had just experienced radical power. And, and, and there was a conflict. In fact, we think um, probably the churches in Ephesus split um, before the writing of this text because of this dynamic. Because you and I both know what happens when you get a whole bunch of, you know, sophomores together with a whole bunch of parents. It's like fireworks. It's an explosion. When you've come to know Jesus in power, you think that anything's possible. And when you've been with Jesus a long time, you know that, yeah, anything's possible, but sometimes things don't work out the way they ought to. When, when you've just experienced Jesus in power, you think that anything could be the case. You, you're like, I, I am, I'm, there's a whole new world, and I want to explore it, and I want to get, I want to make my way and find out all this new stuff. When you've been with Jesus for a long time, and you've seen it, you, you know that there are some really dark paths that can go, be gone, that you can go down. There's ways to fall off the path. You can see that the rails aren't so secure, and if you're not careful, you end up off the way. And when these two forces collide, it's, it's as if there's like, you know, gasoline on one side and there's dynamite on the other and they're moving towards the center of the room where there's a big bonfire. When, uh, when I was um, at that time of my life, uh, there, there were times where, I'm telling you, I, I did. I, in my heart, I was like, I hate you, Dad. And, and, and I, was, I even justified myself. I was like, you know, you don't know Christianity. You don't know faith. And I'm sure there were times um, 
for my father when he was looking at me, where he's like, you're in danger, kid. You're about to get hurt. And he wanted to protect me. What's, what's really crazy about that, what's, what's weird about that, is that that dynamic, that parent, young, emerging adult thing, that, that dynamic that, that, that comes together, it, it's actually the locus of incredible health, incredible vibrancy in a family. And there's a reason for that. It's because as much as I was mad at my father, and as much as um, my father was just flabbergasted that, he could possibly be, uh, that I could possibly be his son, which, I mean, who knows, right? Where did the red hair come from? You know? <laughs> they do DNA testing now. You can tell because of the eyebrows. Like, thick like a caterpillar. And, uh, yeah, we share that, my father and I. Anyway, um, when, you're, when, when, that, when that sort of happens, because we, we both were committed to being family together, there was no question that that would ever break up, right? And because we were both committed to the same kind of mission, ultimately, in life, which was for Tom, to, the man of destiny, to have, like, a, a really, you know, powerful experience of, of, of life, because we both wanted those things, as much as we clashed and pounded against each other, we actually grew in our relationships with one another because that happens. It was actually a moment in life where there was a slow and very painful transfer uh, from me being little kid Tom to me being... Um, Emerging adult Tom, like 33 years old, still living at home Tom. Uh, and then finally, just in the last like six weeks, um, I've become, you know, adult Tom. We, we're more or less at parody. I'm just kidding. It hasn't taken that long, but, you know. Uh, and, 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 and through that, through that, that vibrancy, that, 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 that conflict, um, something beautiful happened. And, and I would say, I would say that my dad was in some ways changed by me. He was exposed to things that he would not have been exposed to if I hadn't been, like, you know, punching and swinging. And at the same time, the guardrails that he set up and the wisdom that he shared with me, as much as I ignored it, I remembered it. I heard it, and I remembered it, and it saved me from a lot of really terrible mistakes. Not as many as I would have liked, but still, a lot of really bad ones. That, that conflict between father and son, and I would say probably also mother and daughter, in those emerging adult years, that, 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 um, that that's actually a sign of incredible health. It's incredibly good, this conflict that comes, because something beautiful can come out of it. There is beauty in this tension. We um, began with a question, how do we know where God is at work? Where, where, how do we know God's doing something? What are some reliable signs or markers that God is up to something and it's, it could be very exciting? What do we look for? I think in the church, in our homes, in our nation, we look in the world, we look for the places where young, new experiences of Jesus' power and old uh, long-time discipleship, people who've been with them for a long time start to bump into each other. I think that that's the moment where we say, hey, the spirit's involved here. Something exciting, something real, something fresh might be being generated right now. If we're attentive and we look closely, we might find something that is going to be powerful. Um, because I want you to remember any, some of the stuff that I've said besides Bo Jackson, Steve. Um, I, I, I came up with this cute little rhyme. When old and new strive, the kingdom will thrive. <laughs> I know, right? Is that, 
is that John Donne? Is that, is that William Wordsworth? Wow, what? E.E. <laughs> e. Cummings? No. Dr. Seuss, that's right. Dr. Seuss. <laughs> Get out of here. You go. You're done. He wasn't a real doctor. Get out. <laughs> when old and new strive, the kingdom will thrive. When these long time, I'm wise, I've seen it all, I'm weathered, I know the truth about Christ, I've lived with him. When those people slam into, these people are like, let's get going, you're old and tired, get your bones together and let's get out of here, let's do something fresh, something wild. When those people start slamming into each other, something vibrant, something wild is about to take place. And here's the only condition. Both sides need to remember that first, As John reminded them in this text, first, you're not parents and young adults. First, you are all children of God. You are brothers and sisters. Do not lose that. What happened to his community was that the the, the slamming together got so intense, people forgot that they're brothers and sisters first. Moreover, they forgot what their mission was. They were so intent on, on hating on each other and slamming into each other that they completely forgot that the whole reason for it was to see the kingdom grow, to be a part of what God's about. And when that happens, it breaks apart. That's not good conflict. That's unhealthy. That is destructive conflict. The good conflict, the good stuff, is when you're both in it together. You know that you're brothers and sisters in love. You know what your mission is. And you're achieving it together in the midst of a lot of friction, real friction. I've been thinking, um, as I've been meditating on this text, I, I think there are some very interesting flashpoints um, in, in global Christianity, for example. Uh, one of the things, I'm not sure how aware we are as a community, but one of the major um, divisions that's coming up in global Christianity is the Christianity of the two-thirds world, primarily East Asia, Africa, and South, and South America, and the Christianity of the West, um, primarily Europe and North America. Um, Europe and North American Christianity is kind of like, we've already figured it all out, guys. It's like, it's obvious. Theology. And the people in the two-thirds world are like, hey, man, I just exercised a demon, and I just raised this guy from the dead. What? Like, it's crazy. I mean, you hear the stories that's going on in, in Asia and Africa and South America, and, and it's like, it's wildness. It's craziness. It's, it's on fire. It's exploding. There's incredible passion. And I would say some pretty weird doctrine, and some of the things, I don't feel like they've been with Jesus maybe as long as they should have, but they're, they're, they've got that power, right? And here in the West, we're like, oh, okay. Let's just relax here. Sit down a little bit. Ah. Yeah, the back, that's one of the first things that goes. Uh-huh. And, the, and, the, and the two-thirds world, they're like, we better send missionaries to North America. They're falling apart. <laughs> We're like, what are you talking about? We got everything we need. I got a 65-inch TV. Shut up. Like, I, see, I see actually some... Um, I see some, some tension there. And I think, that that's, um, I think that that might be a sign that the Spirit is doing something powerful in the church um, globally. Uh, in, in, in the United States of America and the West and in North America, I think that one of the most interesting conflicts that's going on in the church right now is um, the discussion of how to deal with LGBTQIA plus issues. Um, lesbian, gay, trans, bi, queer, um, intersex, asexual. Um, as gender identity and sexual orientation become more and more a part of uh, our 
sort of secular post-Christian context, the church is having a tremendous battle about what to do and how to accommodate and how to think through these issues. I think this could be a place where God is going to do something really beautiful, really powerful, because there is some, um, some clashing that's going on. Um, and it'll be interesting to see what happens. Uh, I, I don't, um, of course, I'm not uh, suggesting that we um, abandon any um, of, our, of our doctrine as we uh, take part in these conversations, but I do think that it's important for us to see how, how the Spirit's trying to work it out, because there is conflict. It'll be interesting to see um, how we as um, a non-affirming congregation can um, begin to be um, really loving and welcoming um, and at the same time holding fast uh, to the truth. And that's a, that's a point of, of conflict. I found uh, something really cool out um, just recently. Um, it's, this, it's a lot of fun. Uh, spending money. It's, can you believe this stuff? I had no idea. Um, up until just a few months ago, I'd never really spent a whole lot of money. And then I started, and I was like, this is great. This, you, can, you, can, you would not believe some of the stuff you can get with money. It's almost anything. It's like, yeah, I, I know. It's like, um, who knew, right? Uh, and so, so Aaron and I, you, you so graciously, thank you again, Mike um, and Steve, put us into the parsonage. And we only had furniture enough for like three of the rooms. So we just went on a spending spree. And dude, that was awesome! I got this sweet couch that you guys saw. You know, I mean, it is, it was really, really fun. Um, but we also know that Dave Ramsey, we took a Dave Ramsey course um, last uh, semester or during the fall, and Dave is really upset with us right now. Uh, he's very angry. Dave Ramsey pr- uh, preaches financial peace. Um, and part of financial peace is sort of planning your expenditures and, and, and not spending more than you have. Um, it, so that you can retire or, um, you know, have a future, which is no fun, but probably really important. Well, once I started spending all this money uh, at home, I was like, you know what? Why not do the same thing at church? And that's a lot easier because that's not even my money. It's, I mean, a little bit of it is, but mostly it's yours. And it's like, and they don't know what I'm doing, right? So I'm just like, by the way, how beautiful. Uh, did you notice uh, the little, Yeah. And, and part of that, from the, the uh, gracious, gracious donation of these, uh, these little spotlights um, that are just, they're just adding so much. And, and then Jeannie went and, and, and decorated a little bit. We're, we're trying to do that. And she's like, she's like oh, yeah, I, I don't know if I can spend this money. I'm like, go ahead. <laughs> Whatever. Who cares, right? Uh, because I'm like a young punk, right? And, and then I have a dad, and his name is Dustin Rosepink, and he's the treasurer. <laughs> He's the treasurer of the church. And I'm like, hey, man, how's this going? He's like, I'm going to take that card away from you. I'm like, it's mine. It's mine. It's mine, Dad. It's mine. Yeah. And I, I think I've got some pretty good points. I think this looks pretty cool. I'm beginning to imagine what it might look like if we, as a community and as a congregation, tried to freshen up our, uh, our, our environment here. I mean, 94 was an awesome year. Uh, it was. In Utero, you guys know that, that album? That was 93. Uh, 16 Stone by Bush came out in 94. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Love that record. It's uh, 23 years old now. FYI. But Teal, love Teal. Good. So I'm wondering, you know, wouldn't it be cool if we could, if we could begin to, like, like really um, honor God again with, with the way that um, our, our worship center looks? 
um, and really show him that it's, it's be- and, and Dustin's like, yeah, with what money, dude? We just got out of debt. Like, oh. It's interesting. There's, um, I, I, I see in that even some tension in the church um, right now as we, as, as we were looking to change and to grow and to expand and see what God has for us in our mission. And at the same time, there's a little thing called prudence that we need to, uh, you know, attend to. Um, and at the same time, so we, we, we've got this, this, uh, this dynamic that's beginning to form. Um, and, and by the way, if you want to get involved, let me just, I have a, a Jeannie found this awesome picture of what we would do. Like, I, I'd love to show it to you. It's really cool. There's like chandeliers and stuff. You're going to love it. Um, but so we've got some great ideas, right? But there's a real thing called money. And so there's, 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 you know, the young kid, the punk, right? And then there's dad, like this. And I'm beginning to think that maybe that's a place um, where the Spirit's moving in our church, where we're starting to get a little bit feisty. And here's the thing. Wherever you see it in your own lives, wherever you see it in the church or the, or the, the globe or, or the nation, wherever you see it, it's, it's great if, if everybody remembers that we're children of God first. We're brothers and sisters first. And whatever fight we have, it can't separate that because we're all those um, who've had our sins forgiven through Jesus' name. We're all of those who've come to know the Father. And we've got to remember that we're all on mission together. This isn't a social club. We are here because we believe in the truth of the gospel and we believe in the participating in the kingdom of God. That's what unites us and binds us. And if we hold those things together, then when we have our fights and our spats and our confusion, we'll remember that it will be okay. That it will be sorted out. We'll have to give a little here and take a little there. But in the end, God will remain sovereign and he will accomplish his will in the power of the Spirit. When old and new strive... The kingdom will thrive. Let's pray. Father God, we um, confess that we are your children, that you have given us uh, birth through your son, that you have made us new, born again, a new family, a family that, that's, that's woven together in your spirit, that we're brothers and sisters, and, and though uh, we may fight and clash, that God, that's first. We confess, God, that you've gathered us um, to put us on a mission to participate in your kingdom, to bring people to faith, to see baptisms and discipleship. God, we um, ask for the world that, that the fight and the, and the clash between two-thirds world Christianity and Western Christianity, that your spirit will be in the middle of that and hold us together. We ask, God, in the midst of our national and, and Western um, confusion and uproar with, with faith that your spirit will rule, your truth will rule, your love will rule. God, as we as a church make changes and think about the future, I pray that as we have those conversations and those, those fights, that will be the place where your spirit is active and powerful, that our love, our mutual affection, and our sense of mission will never be forgotten. God, bring us Um, into a new age. Bring us through um, the parent and young adult fighting and into um, a new world that you have for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.